we've got special guests today. You know, Father's Day, we always share a special message aimed at dads, for dads specifically. We thought this year it might be good to bring in a different voice to share with you today. And we decided to ask Pastor Bayless Conley from Cottonwood Church in Orange County to come and join us and be with us today. Bayless is no stranger to the Bridge Church. He and his wife, Janet, are great friends. They're board members. But they have been a great support to us ever since we've come back to pastor the Bridge Church. We admire what they've done in Orange County. He is the founding pastor and senior pastor there at Cottonwood Church. And he shared a great message first service that's right down where we all live. And I guarantee you it'll touch your heart today. So if you would, one more time, put your hands together. Let's welcome Pastor Bayless Conley. Thank you. It is good to be back and happy Father's Day. <clears throat> you know, I uh, was the first one that came to Christ in my family. I never heard the gospel till I was in my 20s. And I got involved in a lot of things that caused the family a lot of grief. I left home as a young teenager, didn't see my family for about four years and uh, had pretty major league problems with substance abuse and alcoholism. And uh, I got saved. Called the family and asked. I didn't know if they'd want me back. I hadn't talked to them in years. Said, look, it's me. I'm alive. Um, is it okay if I come home? And my mom said, yeah. And uh, didn't talk to my dad. But I came home. And, and I, listen, I didn't just get saved. I got saved saved. And so any, if anything that stood still long enough for me to talk to it, I was preaching to it. And I, I preached and preached to my family um, full of zeal and like had almost zero wisdom, kind of tried to shove it down their throats. And I remember my dad looking at me and said, look, I liked you better when you were on drugs. <laughs> and uh, eventually my sister came to Christ, my mom, and my dad was the last one uh, to come into the kingdom, became part of our church, and God restored that, that relationship that, that I had previously broken because of my stupidity. Um, I would like to share with you some things that I learned growing up from my dad. And even though he didn't come to Christ until later in life, he's like those the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 2, that before they even have an understanding or before they embrace salvation, they have the work of the law written in their hearts. And that was my dad. But before I begin, let me just say, and, and probably goes without saying, but you know, he wasn't perfect by any stretch. Uh, dad had some issues. He couldn't throw anything away. He'd lived through the Great Depression and then twice growing up, Due to floods, he and his family lost everything they had, every earthly possession, once he was actually rescued off of a roof by someone in a rowboat. And so went back to, to zero, and actually his upbringing had very, very uh, little as far as uh, earthly possessions went. And it, it marked him. And he carried that into adulthood, and he wouldn't throw anything away. I mean, if it was an empty paint can, he would not throw it away. He said, no, we might need that someday. I said, Dad, it's an empty paint can. You've already got 16 of them in the garage. No, you leave that there and just wouldn't throw it away. Even food. 
Stuff that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. I go, Dad, there's something growing on that. No, just scrape it off. It'll be fine. You can still eat it, you know. But it was just, just a deal with him. He could have shown more affirmation and encouragement and affection. And honestly, later in life, he, he did show more affirmation and encouragement and affection. He never got better with, you know, getting rid of stuff. But like all of us, he was a work in progress. How many are glad God's never done with you? Well, I want to share, again, some things that I learned from Dad. But before I do, just throw a couple pictures up of Dad. That was him when he was in his 40s. And uh, that was him not too long before he, he died. He's got his little bow tie on. He was Irish to the core of his bones. And he's sitting in the foyer of the church right there. What I'd like to share with you is an acrostic from the word Father. So if you can spell, you'll know when we're getting near the end of the message. <clears throat> so our first letter is F. Stands for friends. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. That was my dad. If he was your friend, he stuck with you, no matter what came. Proverbs 18 and 24 from the Message Bible says, Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. Most translations say there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And my dad always told me, he said, son, in life, if you have two or three genuine friends, if you have two or three close friends, count yourself blessed. You'll have a lot of acquaintances in life, but very few real friends. I mean, you look at Jesus. He had an inner circle. There was three Peter, James, and John. Who did he take with him into Jairus' house when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead? He took Peter, James, and John. Who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration? What was Peter, James, and John? In Gethsemane, when he went to pray, who did he take further with him? It was Peter, James, and John. They were his inner circle. They were his closest friends. And then there was the other nine disciples they were certainly friends and, and apprentices, but they were not as close as Peter, James, and John. And then outside of that, there were the 70 that followed him. And then outside of that were the multitudes. And I think it's a good pattern for our life as well. Very few people will be in that innermost circle. For me, they're the ones I can make a fool of myself, and they don't believe that I've done a permanent job. You know, it's reported that when Howard Hughes was worth approximately $4 billion, he said, I would give it all for one good friend. Listen, if you have some true friends in your life, you should be thankful for them. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was Rookie of the Year in 1947, six-time All-Star, National League MVP. Eventually, every Major League Baseball team retired number 42, his number, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was instrumental in bringing 60 years of racial segregation to an end in baseball. But you know, when news came up that, that they were bringing him up from their farm team and he was going to play for the Dodgers, a bunch of the players on the Dodgers were very upset and they began to circulate a petition that said they would refuse to play if they brought Jackie Robinson up to the team. 
And Pee Wee Reese, the Dodger shortstop, refused to sign their little petition, and it died. And Pee Wee Reese and Jackie became very, very close friends. General Robinson, he endured jeers and terrible verbal abuse in every stadium they played in, from, from the other teams, but also from the fans. They would just hurl insults at him. And in one game, he made a terrible error that cost the team. And the, the stadium was just horrific with the verbal abuse they threw his way. Pee Wee Reese calls timeout, walks over, puts his arm over Jackie's shoulder, and he just glared at the crowd, just stared at him for several minutes until it became quiet. That arm around his shoulder said, this is my friend. You abuse him, you abuse me. Later on, Jackie Robinson said, that shoulder around my arm that day saved my career. And when he died in 1972, Pee Wee Reese was one of the pallbearers. He carried him in death, but he also carried him in life. And that's what true friends do. They will carry you and they will stick with you. So if you've got two or three close friends, count yourself a very blessed man or a very blessed woman. All right, A, always be learning. Always be learning. Always be developing your gifts. Explore and grow. Proverbs 1 and verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. My dad was a perpetual student, not just of the scriptures, but of life. Among other things, he, he studied Native American cultures and tribes. And he, he actually studied Native American languages and learned key phrases and, and learned to be able to communicate in numerous Native American languages. We'd be sitting in the green room before service. He'd come in and he'd start talking to me in Navajo. Or he might, you know, start throwing out some Apache or start speaking to me in the Creek language. I mean, it was crazy, but he was always learning. He also spoke a fair bit of French. He was pretty fluent in the French language. He was a dentist. He loved nature. He studied the etymology of words and phrases. He was a painter. In fact, there's just a few of my dad's paintings up here, and he painted a lot more than this, but the stuff that my dad did. These paintings are all in my house. That's me when I was 16. He loved to paint. The point is, he was multidimensional, but it was not without effort. He pursued different interests. He developed different gifts that were given to him. And the lesson is, don't stop learning. Don't stop growing. Don't stop exploring and expanding. There are treasures in you, but they have to be dug out. As long as you're breathing, never stop learning. I mean, listen, if you've retired and all you do now is watch TV and eat, that's not a good thing. You, you need to grow. You need to learn. There's more in you, and you need it for you, but you need it for others as well. You would be amazed if you take up different hobbies or start studying different things. You run into people that knows something about that field or it touches an area of their life, it becomes a bridge over which you can take the gospel. It's amazing how many more people you'll be able to talk to and the opportunities that God will give you if you continue to learn and continue to grow. You never want to stop growing. Always be learning. Always be going 
forward. All right, we come to the next letter in our little acrostic, and that's T. Take time for yourself. Take time for yourself. Mark 6, 31, Jesus is speaking. says, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. My dad preached this to me growing up more than any other thing. He preached this message to me. Take time for yourself. And he not only preached it, he practiced it. He had a very demanding career as a dentist. And back in the day in the community, everybody knew where the dentist lived. Everybody knew where our house was. And I can't tell you how many times strangers would walk up, you know, and knock on our door. It's like, oh, Jock, I want to sing. Are you looking like... I mean, all the time. And I remember as a kid, I'd get in trouble if I ever picked up the phone when it rang. The dad said, let it go to the answering machine because people continually, you know, calling the house. And he was worn out a lot of times. So he found some things that, that sort of refilled his tank. He loved nature. He would go hiking. He would go backpacking. He loved to fish. And as a kid, he and I spent countless hours backpacking, you know, in the high Sierras and, and camping out. And then when I went crazy as a young teenager, I left home in my teens, he'd go by himself just because that's what, what fueled his soul and filled him up. Now, listen, it's important, yes, to read your Bible and to pray but you also need some activity that fills your emotional tank. You need to do some activity. With me, I've got two hobbies. It's all I have room for. I love to golf. Pastor Gary's one of my primary golf buddies. And then I, I free dive and I spearfish. If I'm, not, if I'm not on the golf course, if I have free time, I'm in the ocean with a spear gun in my hand trying to put dinner on the table. Now, that's very taxing physically, but it's good for my soul. I refer to it as my salt water therapy. 1 Timothy 6 and 17 says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. What do you enjoy? What fills your emotional tank? You know, I have the, the privilege to be friends with a, a preacher named Oral Roberts. Some of you may know who he was. Some of you may not. He and I used to golf together a lot. We didn't live too far apart. He'd ring me up, says, Bayless, you got time for nine holes? Can you get out? Or I'd call him. And so we, we were on the golf course together a lot. And one day it was just me and him, and we're actually riding in a cart. And I said, Oral, what's the, the most important advice you can give me as a young preacher? And I'm thinking, man, what is he going to say? What's the, the, the pearl of wisdom that he's going to give me? And he hesitated for a minute, and he said, Bayless, you know, You've got a pretty good golf swing. He said, I'd suggest that you get lessons. And uh, whatever it costs you, you should join a country club and play more golf. He said, golf is the only thing that's kept me alive. And I remember thinking, really? That's the advice you're giving me as a young preacher? I need to golf more? And I was honest, I put, you know, stuck it on a shelf and I was just sort of disappointed. I was expecting some deep, spiritual answer and then it was maybe six weeks maybe eight weeks later I'm in Australia doing <clears throat> a conference for a, a Pentecostal movement called the Apostolics one of the main denominations there and they found out I like to golf so they stuck me with Leo Hart 
Leo was one of the, the sort of the, the pioneers of the apostolic movement in Australia. He was an old man, and we're golfing, we're walking down the fairway, and he's telling me a story. He said, Bayless, you know, back in the early days of the movement, said, I was the premier preacher, and we were very legalistic. Said, you know, the, the, as boys, we weren't allowed to wear shorts. That was sinful. G- you know, girls couldn't cut their hair. No mixed bathing. Can't have boys and girls in the swimming pool at the same time. And we were not allowed to play sports. We were told it was sinful if you played a sport. And he said, my health was breaking down as a young man. And so I went to the doctor, had this battery of tests done, and the doctor says, okay, Leo, what's your hobby? What do you do to let off steam? What, what do you do to, to you know, what's, what's your release valve for all the pressures in your life? He says, I read the Bible and I pray. Dark said, well, I think it's probably good that you do that, but what's your hobby? He says, I read the Bible and I pray. Leo said, the doctor said to me, Leo, it's good that you do that, but I'm telling you, if you don't get a hobby, you will go to an early grave because you're carrying all the stress and all the pressure of the ministry with you every single day, and you need to do something that fills your emotional tank. And Leo said, Bayless, I did the unthinkable. I took up the game of golf. He said it was an absolute scandal in the denomination. Oh, people talking about it. Leo, he golfs. And then he turned around. We're walking down a fairway. He wheels around and looks at me. He says, Bayless, golf is the only thing that's kept me alive. I thought, I heard the same thing recently. And then I thought back to when I was a Bible school student. And they were bringing a missionary in from Borneo. I thought, yes, the uttermost parts of the earth. And I literally, I got there early so I could sit on the front row and I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm thinking, this guy is going to lash my soul and tell me that I need to commit my life to Christ and go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm thinking, give it to me. I'm giving my all for Jesus. And I'm leaning out. And he says, you know, I've been a missionary in Borneo many years. He says, and I found out that if you don't have a hobby, you won't make it. He said, my hobby is beachcombing, and I collect shells. He says, without that, he says, I wouldn't have made it for the long haul in the ministry. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, please, can we get a real missionary? Beachcombing? Give me a break. But then after Leo had told me about golf, I, I thought back, and I began to connect the dots. And I realized the importance of it. See, God... You know, you're a spirit being, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body, and you need to have something, whether that's golf, or going to garage sales, or riding bikes, you know, or or taking walks, whatever it is that you do, you need to do something that fills that tank. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. You see, because otherwise, if I didn't have those things, I'd be operating at about 60 or 70%, and yes, you know, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. But the best thing I can give my wife, the best thing I can give my family, the best thing I can give our church, the best thing I can give you is a whole and healthy me. When I'm not just running on fumes, and I know there's some here today, you go to bed tired, you wake up tired, you are emotionally spent, you are wrung out, and I'm telling you, you read your Bible, you pray, and you think, what the heck's wrong with me? You need to take some time for yourself. Get that emotional tank filled up. I am so thankful for that lesson that my father taught me. 
And then we come to our next letter in our little acrostic, and that is H. Stands for honesty and integrity. You know, my dad always told me, he said, son, don't be quick to give your word. He says, be be very, very slow at giving another man your word. But if you give someone your word, you keep it or you die trying to keep it. And you know, I never knew my father to break his word. If he gave you his word, if he made a promise, he kept it. It didn't matter what it cost him. He never broke his word. Psalm 15 and 1 asks these questions. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Part of the answer is given in verse 4. It says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, they make a promise and they keep it, even if it costs them dearly. Keeping your word is central to having a good name. Proverbs 22 and 1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. You know, in the early days of our country, the Quakers were sought out for business. They were very successful in business when compared to any other group. And the reason people sought them out to do business with them is because it was known they wouldn't break their word. If they gave their word, it was sacred to them. And they prospered in business as a result of that. You know, I had a friend give me a recommendation one day. I had bought an old Jeep for my my daughter. And, uh, you know, it ran, but it had some problems. And a friend said, you know, I met this old Venezuelan guy. His name's Abe. Said, if he'll come and work on the car at your house, and he's, he's really fair. I said, okay. So I call him up. I say, hey, look, my friend Keith, you know, told me to give you a call. I, I bought such and such Jeep for my daughter, and, and I think this might be the issue. I don't know. He said, look, I'll, I'll come and I'll work on it, you know, tomorrow afternoon. So he comes, and based on what I told him, he had certain parts, and he, you know, lifts up the hood, cranks it up, and he says, okay. And he looks at it a few minutes. He says, okay, I've got the part it needs in my car. It's going to take me 35, 40 minutes, you know, to get it fixed. I said, how much? He said, 150 bucks. I said, okay. So anyway, he gets the the thing. I go in the house. I think I brought him a bottle of water. He's in the driveway working on it. And I noticed the the 40 minute mark rolls by and it's an hour, hour and a half. And so I go out. I say, Abe, what's going on? He says, well, you know, when I got in here, I found out it's got, you know, some other issues and they need to be dealt with right now. He said, one thing I'm going to need such and such part can you go to the auto parts store and, and get this for me? He told me, he said, yeah. So I went on back in about 15 minutes with a part. And I, I think it was, you know, a $30 part or something. And so he's out there, ends up working on the car for about four hours. And when he was done, oh, that thing ran so sweet. I said, okay, Abe, what do I owe you? He said, I told you, $150. I said, yeah, but that's when it was a 35-minute job. How much do I owe you? You've been out here for four hours. And he turned on me. He was mad. He said, I told you it was $150. I will not break my word. I said, yes, sir. I paid him his $150. And then I went out and broadcast his name and his business to everybody I knew, anybody that had an auto. I said, if you ever need a mechanic, here's your man, here's his number. I got him so much business. He said, like, what the heck are you doing? You know, I I don't know what to do with all this business you give me. Every friend of mine went and used Abe kept his word by contrast you know 
sitting in these beautiful seats in here today, this lovely auditorium. Our auditorium in Orange County, in the, the main auditorium, we have just under 3,500 seats in there. And I put in the order for the, the fixed seating just like this a year and a half in advance. And they said, look, six months is plenty. I said, I just want to make sure that we got everything on time. This is our, our date for being able to move in. And they said, look, certainly. So anyway, you know, we put the order and put a huge down payment on, on those chairs. And um, we get to the six month mark or six months out. And I call and say, oh yeah, man, we're, we'll, they'll be in months ahead of time. I said, okay. Well, you know, five months, four months, no chairs. They haven't started bringing chairs and putting them in. I, I talked to them on the phone. They said, oh, man, chairs are all done. You know, we'll have them there. We're going to load them on the trucks, bring them out. Another couple of weeks go by, no trucks, no chairs. I go, what's going on? He says, oh, well, we just had some things in the factory. They're loading them, you know, on the trucks. They'll be on the trucks and on their way tomorrow. Well, no truck, truck showed up. You know, another week, another two weeks. I go, what's going on? He says, oh, several of the trucks broke down. And, uh, you know, we've, we had to get the trucks fixed. And so anyway, they'll be there. And it's getting closer and closer. And I'm getting a little nervous. I mean, now, even if they came with the chairs, they're not going to be able to install them all in time. And we've advertised our opening date. You know, we, we've, you know, put it in the paper. We, we've let the whole community know. And so I had a friend, I found out that the, the main factory was in Mexico where they, they manufactured the chairs, and I had some friends that lived in that city. So I rang them up, I said, do me a favor. I said, here's all the information. I want you to go to the factory and find out. These guys said they've shipped the chairs and the trucks broke down, et cetera, et cetera. They go to the factory and they call me up and said, Bayless, I got bad news. I went to the factory and talked to the plant manager. They have not even begun to manufacture your chairs yet. They haven't even made chair one yet. So I have to go to the city hat in hand. I said, look, guys, I've got an ox in the ditch, and I need you to help me pull it out. You know we've advertised our opening, and we've got a big slanted floor like in here. And I said, can I put plastic chairs in? They go, look, Pastor, that's going to break all the fire codes. I said, well, we can lash them together with zip ties. And they let us do it. I mean, they, they really helped us. So we had three and a half 3,400 white plastic chairs with zip ties. That's what we opened up with. And for the first three and a half months, we had white plastic chairs with zip ties. And then little by little, they began to bring the, you know, the chairs in. And, and, you know, it was probably another six months before we had all the chairs in. Well, I started getting phone calls from other churches across the U.S., big churches that were building and going to be putting chairs in. They said, you know, this chair company is using you for a reference. Can you give them a good reference? I said, look, if you don't mind working with the Antichrist, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> what a contrast to Abe, who refused to break his word, even though it cost him to somebody else that wouldn't keep their word at all. Now, friend, honesty and integrity is something that every one of us needs. And even if it costs you, you keep your word, or as my daddy would say, or you die trying to keep it. All right, we come to the letter E. Ever ready with a joke. 
It was my dad. You need to have a good sense of humor. You know, in any situation, my dad always had a joke, usually accompanied by elaborate storytelling. Proverbs 17:22 says, A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You know, keeping one's faith during distressing times often requires a sense of humor. Martin Luther said this, if God didn't have a sense of humor, I wouldn't want to go to heaven. I tend to agree with that. You know, my dad's been in heaven a few years, but when he was still with us in the church, you'd often hear people say, who's that old guy sitting out in the foyer telling off-colored jokes? He's really naughty. Say, oh, that's the pastor's dad. You know, it's just like all his filters were gone. And, uh, but that was him. Ever ready with a joke. You know, I was at LAX one time, going to be flying out overseas, and me and some other people get directed to take this elevator. It's a big, giant elevator. I think there's like seven of us in there and a lot of room still. One lady in a wheelchair and Anyway, we start going up and the elevator gets stuck between floors. And it's not moving. We're waiting. We try it on the phone. Phone's dead, not working. And everyone in that elevator reacted differently. A couple people started to panic big time, claustrophobic. And we had to, we had to calm them down. A couple of people extremely angry. Like, why the heck isn't this in you know, working order and I got a flight to catch? And they're just going off and... You know, a couple of people just astonished, like, how can this possibly be happening? Me? I start cracking jokes. And I thought, you're becoming your father. This is exactly what your dad would be doing. And it, and it, it kind of struck me as funny there, so I just kept going, and most of the people didn't like it, but I didn't care. And then me and another guy, we actually peeled the doors, and we're stuck literally halfway. We lifted the wheelchair and the lady out, you know, the wheelchair, everybody else, we lifted them up and they crawled out of the uh, elevator there in the airport. But having a sense of humor is important in life. Final letter, R, stands for reciprocity. More specifically, the law of reciprocity. My dad would put it this way, do good things for others and it will eventually come back to you. He told me that a lot that there's a mutual exchange. It may not come right away, but, but there's, there's this law. My dad would say there's this law in the universe. You do good for others, it'll come back around to you. It's called the law of reciprocity. I remember once I'd, I'd opened my first bank account. I'm a young teenager. I'm at the bank. I'm withdrawing 20 bucks. And I get outside and I realize that the teller, she gave me $20, but it was two $20 stuck together. So she actually gave me $40. I thought, well... It's nice, but 20 of this isn't mine. So I, I went back in, and now the line is long. And I'm standing in line. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I get up there, and there's a teller. I said, no, I need to talk to her. Okay. So eventually I get up to the window. I said, you know, I was here a few minutes ago. You gave me 20 bucks. She says, yeah, what are you doing back? I said, well, there was actually two 20s stuck together. Here you go. She says, thank you. You know, that would have come out of my wallet at the end of the day. I would have had to pay for that and be responsible. Thank you. And 20 bucks was a lot of money back then. Anyway, I told my dad the story later that day, and I'll never forget him looking at me and saying, son, way to go. He says, that'll eventually come back to you one way or another. It always does. You do the right thing, and it comes back to you. 
Galatians 6 and 7 says, Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's a divine law. We all know Luke 6, 38. Give and it'll be given. In fact, can you help me with that verse? See if you can quote it. Give and it'll be good. Yeah. Give, it'll be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It'll give into your bosom. And you know that certainly, we, we hear that a lot with finances, and I believe it's true. But you look at the context and it talks about showing kindness and mercy and forgiveness. You extend kindness, mercy, and forgiveness to others. It comes back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. My friend, it is a divine law. And it's something that my dad talked to me a lot about. There was a little boy in the Swiss Alps, lived high in the mountains, and he would go out in their yard surrounded by these beautiful snow-capped mountains, and he'd cry, Hello, and it would come back, hello, hello. And he'd shout, I love you. And it would come back, I love you, I love you, I love you. And one day he got in a severe argument with his dad and he went outside and he yelled, I hate you. And he came back, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Friend, what you put out there, whatever a man sows, whatever a woman sows, It'll come back, but when it comes back, comes back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, God does not settle up on the 1st and the 15th of every month, but he does settle up. You know, my dad was bedfast at the end of his life, and I used to go to his house and shave him, sit on the bed and a bowl of water and shaving cream and a razor, and I'd, I'd shave him and I'd cut his hair and clean him up if he needed to be cleaned up. and We spent a lot of time talking those last few days of his life. And just a couple days before he died, he's on, on his deathbed. I walk in one day, I'm going to shave him, and he's got a strange look on his face. I go, Dad, what is it? He said, I can't stop thinking about eternity. It's forever and ever. And ever, and forever, and ever, and ever, and forever, and ever, and ever, and forever. And he just kept going on and on. He was absolutely captivated by the thought of eternity. And he's about to step into eternity. It's forever and ever. You know, you are an eternal being, my friend. You live in that that physical body, that's just the house you live in. One day you're going to lay that body down in death if Jesus tarries. Just like every generation, every person that ever lived before us. But you, the real you, you're eternal. You'll spend eternity somewhere. You don't cease to be when that body is laid down in death. You'll spend an eternity with God or an eternity separated from Him. We're made in His image and in His likeness. And you know, the Bible tells us that because of sin, we're separated from God. And every person intuitively senses that, that separation inside. There's like this empty place. We try and fill it with drugs and alcohol. I did that for a long time. It'll never fill the empty place. Some people try and fill it with sex. You know, and they'll change partners, you know, or change spouses, and it just never fills the empty place. Some people try and fill it with money and things. If I can just accumulate more stuff, 
but it never fills the empty place. Extreme sports won't fill the empty place. Even good works and, and sacrificial living won't fill that empty place. It's a God-shaped hole. We were meant to walk and talk with God, to know him, to be part of a family. And it's only when we come to him through Christ that that empty place is finally filled. And you know, when we couldn't reach up to him, when we couldn't fix this thing, he reached down to us. And he sent his son Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went into ministry and began to show people what God was like, that he wasn't aloof and distant, occasionally glancing at the world through some cold clinical eye, but that he was near. He was a loving father that cared and that helped and that healed. People hung on every word. They never heard anyone talk like him. And then he was taken by jealous hands and put through a mock trial, beaten without mercy and crucified. And there suspended on that cross between heaven and earth when the sky turned dark and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, God laid the penalty for our sins, for my sin, that the, his justified wrath and anger, his justified punishment against the sin of the world, he laid on his own son and Jesus became our substitute. And he died under the weight of our sins. And after three days and three nights, the claims of God's eternal justice forever satisfied, Jesus was raised from the dead. And here's what the Bible says, if you believe that in your heart, and if you confess him with your mouth as Lord, God brings you into a relationship that the Bible calls salvation, changes you from the inside out. I did it in a little street mission in a place called Medford, Oregon. My life was a shambles at the time. I was in my 20s. And in that little street mission, I realized Jesus Christ was real. I was the only one that went forward that night. Nobody else came but me. But it changed me. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to put your life in his hands. But I, I would like every, every head up, every eye open when we do this. There's something I found out a long time ago that if I'm worried about what you think of me, if I'm thinking about how is she or how is he going to interpret what I say and how I live and what I do, as long as I'm caught up and worried about what you think, it's going to bind me and restrict me. I'm never going to live, you know, in the freedom that I should if I'm worried about what you think about me. The Bible puts it this way. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. And for sure, you'll never be able to live for God and serve him if you're afraid of what people think of you. The Apostle Paul said, if I was afraid of man, I should not be the servant of Christ. And my friend, it is true. The fear, the fear of man, they're like unseen chains. And they will keep you from, from living in the liberty that God wants you to have. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to count to three. And if you're here today, father, mother, maybe you're by yourself today. Maybe you're with family or friends. But if you need to make your peace with God and embrace Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, or if you're a backslider that needs to come home, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to stand your feet without shame. In a sense, I mean, you'll be saying, God, I care more about what you think than anybody else. If the whole world wants to watch me right now, let them watch. I don't care. You're first. 
It's a way to honor God, but it's also a way to break the chains of the fear of man. And once you stand, I'll have everyone else stand with you. We'll lead you in a simple prayer. I'm just going to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to stand. And by the way, if you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in here today, it's time to come home, prodigal. The Father's waiting. Time for you to come home. I want you to stand as well. One, you ready? Two, no shame, no fear. Three, stand your feet. I want to pray. All over the auditorium. Come on, stand up. I love it. It's like every section we got people standing. God bless you. It takes courage to serve Jesus. You have courage. You have courage. Let's all stand with him, okay? Everybody stand your feet. Maybe put a hand on your heart. And I want you to say these words out loud, but tie your heart around the words and speak them to God. If you'll do that, I believe that he'll meet you. Just say, oh God, I come to you. With all of my heart, I believe. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died on the cross to take away all my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead. Jesus, come into my life. I confess you as Lord. All I am and all I have, I put it in your hands, Jesus. Wherever you lead me, I will follow you. Amen. Pastor Zach. Amen. Can we put our hands together and just welcome some people into God's family this morning? Awesome. I, I want to ask everybody if you just remain standing for just a moment while we, we do this. And I, I also want to say this. Everybody hang tight with us just for a minute because we do a lot of important things with you know business with God when we come to church. But this is as important as anything we'll do today. Right now, people making eternal decisions is a big deal. We want to honor that decision. We want to honor you for stepping out in boldness this morning. So hang tight with us till the end of service. If you made a decision to follow Christ, we want to help you start your walk with God. We want to help you start your journey of faith. You might be watching online right now and you made that decision. We want to give you a simple gift, a free tool called the next seven days to help you get started in this journey. And there's a couple of different ways that you can get it. As soon as service is over, we're going to have prayer teams. They'll be right down here. Just come up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get the book. We'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're happy to help in any way that we can. But walk up, let them know you made that decision. We'll give you that book to help you get started in your journey of faith. If you made a decision, you're watching online, there's instructions right there on your screen of how you can get the next seven days. We want to help you start your walk with God. And then if you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Our team will be there. Let them know again. You just want to get the book. If they need to, if you want someone to help you, to agree with you and pray with you, they're happy to do that as well. But we just want to help you start your walk with God. And finally, let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're walking through something and you just need someone to pray for you. That's why our prayer teams are here. Please come see our prayer teams. They want to pray with you, encourage you, and agree with you. We're so glad that you made that decision. Hey, one more time, let's just welcome some people into the family of God. And while we're doing it, can we thank Pastor Bayless for that great message this morning on Father's Day? Go ahead and be seated this morning. We're going to conclude in just a couple of moments. A couple things we want to do before we go. We just want to take this opportunity as a church family to honor God by bringing our tithes and our offerings into his house. And I just simply want to say what we say every Sunday at this time of our service, and that's thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. Thank you for putting God first with your finances. As a result, we're able to partner together and just simply be the light he's called us to be as one local church here in this valley. 
If you're wanting to give this morning and uh, you're looking for the most convenient way, there are ways that you can give on the screen right now digitally. If you want to give a physical gift in person this morning, there are envelopes there on your seat backs. You can just grab one of those and you can drop it in one of our giving stations. We have giving stations on either side of this first set of exit doors before you exit the auditorium. We also have one outside near the kids' first-time check-in area. But again, I just want to say thank you for your generosity. We say this all the time, but I hope it doesn't become overly redundant to where we lose its meaning. We recognize that we are able to do what we do because of a faithful God and faithful people. He simply called us to respond to him. He's already been good to us, so we give back to him and honor him. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. Hey, it's Father's Day. I hope that you have plans with your dad, with the dads in your world. If you are not able to contact your dad today or see your dad, make sure that you pick up the phone, make that phone call, spend that time, tell them how much you love them and how much they mean to you because I know it's incredibly important. And before you go today, before you leave our premises, our, our, our campus, we want everybody to have Dad's Root Beer on us because that's our tradition here at the bridge. So we got a Dad's Root Beer for everybody in the house. Hang out, stop by the photo booth, stop by the car show outside and just take some pictures. Hang out with your family and with our church family because we want to celebrate Father's Day with you. We love you. Have a great Sunday and an awesome week. We will see you in the house next Sunday morning. Happy Father's Day.